There is a, uh, there's a famous saying in Alcoholics Anonymous that uh, is, it's a famous saying about feeling sorry for yourself. And the saying goes like this, poor me, poor me, pour me another drink. That, that's the saying. And I can't think of a better description of the way that all of us end up settling for a life less than God created us for. All of us in the room have a tendency, if we're not careful, to settle because we cannot get over our failures, our sins, and our mistakes. And anybody like me, you know how to throw a really good pity party. Come on, anybody in the room, like you can throw a pity party. I can throw a pity party, and I can really be hard on myself. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know enough of your stories to know that the biggest challenge we're facing in this room today is not, for most of us, it's not this religious pride that we're somehow better than everybody else. I grew up a little farther south in the Bible Belt, and that was maybe a little more of the tendency, is you had to kind of get up and tell everybody you're not as awesome as you think you are. That's not the problem at Hope City Church. We've got to come in here and say, you're doing better than you think. You're doing better than you think, and, 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 and you're, you're going to make it. And so... Um, Man, there, there is this feeling that we can't get past our mistakes, we can't get past our sins, and we hear this voice that is, or feel this, this feeling of this voice in our lives saying, we're never going to make it, we're never going to be what it is we want to be, we're never going to make it to that, that place that God wants us to get to. Well, we're in the final week of a series called, I Don't Want to Be That Person Anymore. This is the fifth week, and we have taken the last five weeks to really talk about being the new person that God created us to be. And we get this idea from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is what it says. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And this is incredible news for anybody who has decided to put your faith in Jesus Christ. This is not talking about just attending church, even though we think attending church is awesome. He's not saying that anybody who attends church becomes a new person. He's not saying anybody who gives money to charities, which we think is awesome, is a new person. He's saying that when you are in Christ, when you have decided to, to ask Jesus to be in charge of your life, that he begins a process of making you into a new person. That's what the word, that's what the, the verse tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. But it also tells us that the old life is gone, and that's where the rub comes in for most of us because we don't necessarily feel like the old life is gone. We, we don't feel that necessarily. Like, there's some newness in there. There's, there's, there's some times where we, you know, feel maybe a little bit new, but if we're being honest, and we were just to pass around the mic today and say, you know, do you feel like the old life is gone? You'd be like, uh, no, let me tell you about last Thursday. Uh, no, let me tell you. Like we would share our stories and we would say, hey, the old life doesn't feel gone. But what we said each week through this series is that becoming a new person is a process. Like, yes, there are stories and examples of people who, you know, get saved and God immediately takes all desires away from what they were doing or whatever. Like there are those examples, but they are few and far between. That the majority of us, it is a process, a relationship, in the same way when a new baby is born, a new person is created, there is this process 
of becoming that new person. And so the old life hangs around. It's like a third wheel, just hanging around and constantly reminding us of who we used to be. And so we've said each week in this series, let's please give God as much time to fix our life as we gave the devil time to screw it up, right? Because what we do is, you know, we give God like, or we give the devil like 25 years, we give God 20 days and we're like, I knew it wouldn't work. I knew it wouldn't work. I knew that whole religious thing was not going to work. But, but we haven't given him as much time. I hired a trainer a few years back because I needed to lose some weight, some serious weight. And I was whining one day about the workout and how hard it was to lose weight. And he's like, he's like hey, man, you worked hard to get fat. He's like, don't, don't, don't think it's just hard work to get skinny. You worked hard to get fat. You fed that thing every day, right? And I'm like, wow, thanks, Curtis, for the motivation there. But sometimes it can, that's what it feels like trying to get to know Jesus. It can feel like it's hard work trying to follow Jesus, but we don't remember that we worked really hard to screw our life up, right? And we gave the devil all the ability and all the availability that, that, uh, that we could, and so it takes some time. There is a process. And so if you haven't been here for any of the weeks of the series, I'll just recap it for you real quick. The first week, we talked about the difference between uh, regret and repentance, which is really just a fancy way of saying that we don't want to just feel bad for what we do, but we want to turn from it. That obviously we feel bad, but we want to turn from those things that are killing us. The second week, we talked about the difference between conviction and condemnation, that when we're trying to be that new person, that there are two voices, and, and it's not audible voices necessarily. It's feelings and promptings and nudgings and thoughts and all this stuff. But there's the voice of the devil, and he guilts us. His voice, guilt, voice guilts us, but God's voice guides us. And so we can always tell the difference, so we want to you know, be guided by God. And then the last two weeks, we have talked about the difference between religion and relationship. That took two weeks because there's a lot there. The difference between religion and relationship. And the big difference, the big idea is that if you're trying to be good so that God will love you, you'll never change. Like you may clean up, but it'll be, it'll be driven by guilt and shame and fear. That's religion. Religion says, don't say a cuss word, God will give you cancer. That's religion. Hey, don't steal money, God will make your car break down. That's religion. Relationship says, I'm going to act like someone who knows they are loved by God. They're loved by God, and love changes people. So that's really what this series has been about, spending a lot of time in the book of Romans and unpacking all of these ideas. And, uh, and so today for this last week, I want to talk about the difference between falling and failing. Something tells me if I would let Antonio loose with that microphone, he could preach a great sermon today. Uh, but uh, I want to talk about the difference between falling and, uh, and failing, and there is a difference. There is a difference. A powerful trigger that the devil uses to try to hold us back is condemnation. It's condemnation. We've talked about that a little bit. It's this idea that, that when we mess up, it sounds a little different for each of us, but the gist is the same. The voices or the feelings are, you're such an idiot. You're such a fake. If your church friends really knew the kind of stuff you did, they wouldn't be your friends anymore. You'll never be able to stop doing this. God is so disappointed in you. God could never love somebody like you. We hear these voices, and what the devil is hoping is that you will just give in to the feeling of misery. He's hoping that you'll just give in to the current like someone who tries to not drown, like you're, you're just decided I'm going to give up because he wants you to feel so defeated. I read somewhere one day, uh, I can't remember where, but I read that you can hear the roar of a lion five miles away. Now, I don't hang out where lions typically hang out, just a kind of a general life rule, but 
Um, I believe it. And I think it's interesting because the Bible describes the devil as um, a roaring lion. And so I don't know how, like, you know, spiritual five miles, I don't know how far that is, but it does seem like that from a long ways away, no matter what's happening in my life, I can hear the voice of that lion. I can hear the voice of the devil making me feel uh, terrible, making me feel like a failure, making me feel condemned. And if he can get us feeling bad enough, then we'll just give up. But here's, here's what we know about the devil. If he's opening his mouth, he's a liar. That's what we know it's true. Have you ever had a friend or a family member, you just know they're a liar, so whatever they say, you're like, that's not true, right? It's like, how far away are you? Have you left your house yet? Yes, they haven't left their house yet. <laughs> what time are you gonna be there? 10 o'clock, they'll be here at 1045. Like, you just know. That's it. Hey, did you drop that check in the mail? Yep, the check is in the mail. Anybody still waiting on the check? Come on, anybody, it's not, it's not in the mail. You just know they're, they're a liar. That is how I want you to think about the devil. When he opens his mouth, he's just lying. John uh, chapter 8 tells us that, like, that's his native tongue, that when he lies, he speaks in his native tongue. It's all he knows how to do. So anytime you feel this condemning voice in your life, this fearful voice in your life, this voice that's pulling you down, you can recognize that that's not God, that that's the enemy, and if he's saying it, then that means the opposite is true. He shows up and says, man, God could never love you like that. The opposite is true, that in our worst and at our worst, God loves us just right where we are. We know that that, that, that is true. And so what I want to do is I want to read a story because um, the devil would want us to believe that we're failures. We're trying to become this new person that God has created us to be, and the devil wants us to believe that we're failures Anytime that we make a mistake, anytime that we sin, we're failures. But the Bible's going to teach us something different today. In Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, um, and if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to read along with me. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. Luke chapter 22, this is the story of the Last Supper. This is Jesus hanging out upstairs in a room with his disciples having the last meal. If you've ever been to El Nopal and seen the painting, that pretty much sums it up. That's, that nails it right there. The Last Supper painting at El Nopal, that's where we're at right here, okay? You can just kind of, there we are. And so Jesus is uh, hanging out with the disciples, and Jesus knows what's about to happen. He's very, he knows exactly what's about to happen. The disciples have no idea what's about to happen because a day earlier, two days earlier, Jesus had rode into town with fanfare. It was like a Jesus parade. They're thinking, man, this is about to take off. And Jesus is like, knows this is not about to take off. It's about to end in death and resurrection. And so he looks at his disciples in verse 31 of Luke chapter 22, and here's what he says. He says, Simon, Simon, he's talking about Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. I love these two verses of scripture. I love them for a lot of reasons. We don't have time to talk about all the reasons I love it. But a few things that I love about it is the first thing I love about it is that the devil has to ask God's permission to mess with me. I love that. I don't know how that makes you feel, like, theologically. To me, it's like a warm blanket. It just makes me feel good to know that God is so in charge, that he's so in control. Do you hear what he says? He's like, yeah, Satan asked to mess with you. I love that idea that, like, the devil can't even mess with me without getting God's permission. Now, some of you are in the room, it's like, I really wish he would kind of let off the gas a little bit because I feel like I've been getting beat up. That's, David even said that in the Psalms. He's like, I cannot take another blow from your hand. And sometimes it feels like that, like seriously. 
But I, I find much more comfort in the fact that the devil has to get permission than that he just has free reign. And so here's Jesus saying, hey, he's asking, and, and uh, it's going to happen. And, and sometimes God will allow that to happen. He will allow us to be tested and tried because he is making us into that new person. So that's one thing that I, I love about these, uh, these verses. Another reason I love these verses is because God seems to have this confidence in my ability to bounce back. I love that. That Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. And look at what he says. He says, when you have repented and turned to me again. I love this. That Jesus is not concerned or worried that Peter is not going to repent and turn to him again. And I love that because it takes a little bit of the weight off. All sin is big and all, we should always strive to be you know, who God has created us to be. But I do love this idea that like one mistake, and what Peter's about to do is like the biggest, one mistake, Jesus is like, hey, you're going to repent and you're going to return to me. And I love that idea that God has this confidence in my ability to bounce back. But I think what I love most about these scriptures is the fact that Jesus is praying for me. Did you see that? I love that. I find such comfort in this idea that Jesus says, Satan has asked to sit you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. I love that. Now, literally, he is saying he has been praying for Peter, but we know in 1 John, the Bible says that Jesus is our advocate. This idea that like he's praying for us. He's not just praying for us. He's pleading in prayer for us. Now, you just need to know as your pastor that like I pray for you. I pray for you often, and that's cool, that's great, but like, we're talking about Jesus praying for you. And I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of details about how that goes, but if I've gotta pick anybody to pray for me, I pick Jesus, okay? And so Jesus is like, look, it's gonna get intense, Satan's gonna come in, but just know I'm pleading in prayer for you. I love that idea that maybe today or tomorrow or next week when you feel so overwhelmed by temptation, you feel so overwhelmed by the desire to stray or to go or to be the old person and it feels, you know, like, like you cannot do the right thing. It feels, you know, like impossible to choose the right thing that maybe somehow you could remember that Jesus is praying for you. And specifically, he's praying that your faith wouldn't fail. Now, spoiler alert, in case you don't know how this story ends, Peter, in the next like 12 hours, is going to deny Jesus. But I love the conversation that happens between Jesus and Peter, because this is like classic, classic Peter. So Jesus says, I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. Your faith's not going to fail when you repented. And then in 33, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'd even, I'd, I'd die with you. I'd die with you. And I love these next, this next sentence. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. I, lo- I love this idea that Jesus is kind of rolling his eyes like, Peter, listen to me. Like, it takes some audacity to argue with Jesus's prediction of the future. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus is like, let me tell you what's going to happen. And you're like, with all due respect, Jesus, like, I know you're great at this omniscient thing. I'm just saying that's not going to happen to me, that's not gonna happen to me. I think one of the hardest things to do as a parent is to, is to let your kids fail. There's lots of things that are hard about parenting, like um, the cost of formula, but that's a different sermon. Um, but like, there's all sorts of reasons that parenting is challenging. Uh, and for those of you who parent 
older teenagers or adults, I hear it only gets harder. Uh, so thanks for that encouragement. But I, I, um, I know for me, like, like knowing that your kid is going to fail and letting them do it is brutal. And what's crazy to me is like, because I'm a little bit of a control freak. You probably didn't know that about me, but I'm a little bit of a control freak. And, um, and so I will know that Sadie or Nora or like, I'll know this isn't going to work. And so without trying to totally take over, I will try to just interject, you know, hey, probably wouldn't do it that way. I would maybe do it that way, you know. And with the confidence of like a rocket scientist, my eight or nine-year-old will look at me and say, no, dad, that's not how it works. You ever had that happen? And I, I think that's, that's probably, and I'm sitting there like, let me tell you something. You, you have no idea what you're talking about. But I, that's probably kind of the exchange between God and us, our Heavenly Father, when, when we look at him and we're like, that's not going to happen. Because all of us in the room, we tend to overestimate our willpower and underestimate sin's power, don't we? Oh my gosh, that's the way, that's the way it works. That if I was to stand up here and I was to say to you, this is what you're gonna face in the next two weeks, we're so tempted because we believe in ourselves so much we're so tempted to say, well, that would never happen to me. Maybe you've thought that before. I'll never be like my dad. I'll never be like my parents. I'll never end up in that place. I'll never cheat on my spouse. I'll never be an addict. I'll, I'll never be that. I'll never do that. We all overestimate our ability to be who we want to be and then not do what we say we're not going to do. And that's where Peter's at right here. Jesus is saying, it's going to go bad. Peter's like, I'm ready to go to war, Jesus. Like, I'm ready. Just point me in the right direction and let's go. And Jesus says, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. Even that you even knew me, you're going to deny me. And sure enough, Jesus is 100% on these things. It happened exactly like he said. Exactly like he said. But throughout this whole dialogue and this whole conversation between Jesus and Peter, there, is, there seems to be this contradiction. Because Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. And I don't know, you know, we've talked in this series about ranking sins. So we're not really supposed to rank sins. We're not ranking sins. But if we were ranking sins, denying Jesus while he's being arrested has got to be up there, right? Like historically, historians tell us that like they're in a courtyard. So it's not like he's around the corner. Like Peter is standing here and Jesus is standing over there. So some historians believe they're making eye contact. And so here is this moment, and Peter's like, I don't know him. Oh, I think you do. I've never met him. No, yeah, you have. And he just starts cussing. I've never, I've never met that guy. Like, that's pretty bad. If we were going to kind of list failures, that would be a failure. And Jesus knew exactly how it was going to happen. But Jesus said to Peter, it's going to happen. But I pray that your faith should not fail. This idea that... that that what we do is not the same thing as failure. That somehow there is this difference. There is a difference between falling and failing. I've got a, a year and a half uh, year old. I've got a year and a half old son who's actually homesick today, and he's walking now. It took a little while. You know how it is with that fourth kid. You're very impatient. It's like you're a year old. Why are you not reading yet? Like, come on, let's do this. And um, but he's walking now, and uh, it took him a little longer than we were planning. And, and he would walk, and you know this. This is not rocket scientists. If you've ever seen somebody walk, like, they fall. They fall. And there was never a point as a parent when I watched Zeke fall 
and thought, we need to take him to the hospital. He's handicapped, paralyzed. There was never a time where I thought, you know what, his legs are broke. There was never a time I thought that. I just thought he's learning how to walk and he failed this time. And so what did I tell him every time? And it's the same thing you told your parents. Get back up. Get back up. Come on, stand up. Stand up. You can do it. Stand up. It never crossed my mind that there was an inherent problem with my son because he fell when he was trying to walk. I understood it's part of growing up. It's part of the process. And Jesus is talking to Peter, and he's like, this is going to happen. You're going to fall. Whether you think it or not, you're going to fall. But I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And so there is this contradiction that somehow the worst thing that Peter could ever do in his life would not be considered failure. How is that possible? How is it possible that the very worst thing, the lowest moment of your life, Jesus wouldn't consider failure? Because I don't know about you, I know about me, I, I constantly feel like a failure. I'm not a good enough dad, I'm not a good enough husband, I'm not a good enough pastor, constantly feeling like a failure. And here's Jesus saying, Peter, the worst thing you'll ever do at the lowest moment of your life, you haven't failed. And I'm praying for you that you won't fail. Well, Jesus doesn't really explain what it is that he means, but if we take some other uh, Bible verses and kind of use them to, to add on to what Jesus is saying, to interpret what Jesus is saying, it's really a pretty simple idea. It's this idea that failure is not failure, falling is not failure unless it's, it's final, in other words, Jesus is saying to Peter, the very fact that you're going to repent and return to me is, makes it not failure. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Proverbs uh, chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. This is what it says. It says, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. That the godly may trip seven times but they'll get up again. Such an interesting verse because that's not how I would describe somebody who's godly, somebody who relapses, somebody who keeps going back to their old ways, somebody who can't seem to get it together. I would not describe them as godly. When I think of godly, I think of like old lady who's never done anything wrong in her life. You say, who's the most godly person you know? I was like, my grandmother. She's never sinned, ever, right? Her and Jesus, that's it. People said, that's godly. If I was to ask you that question, who's the most godly person you know? But according to the Bible, that's not what makes someone godly. According to the Bible, what makes someone godly is the decision when everything inside of them and the voice of the enemy is saying, just quit. What makes someone godly is the ability to push through that noise and to say, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm going, I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up. And so I guess for me, if I had to sum up five weeks of this series, you're like, why didn't you do that five weeks ago? Well, just deal with it, all right? But if I had to sum up five weeks of the series, if I said, hey, you don't, you don't get to hear all the other stuff, I just, wanna, I just wanna give you one piece of advice. How can you become the new person that God has created you to be and not be the old person that you used to be? If I could only give you one piece of advice, this is what I would tell you. Don't quit. Don't quit. If you don't quit, you will be the person that God has created you to be. The only way you're not going to make it to that person is to give up. That's it. 
So what's going to happen one day is when you don't quit, you're going to wake up 5, 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, and you're going to think, how did I get to this place? And you got to that place because God was guiding you and the Holy Spirit was leading you and you did not give up. No silver bullet, no trick, just faithfulness. And when you fall, you get back up. And when you fall, you get back up. And when you fall, you get back up. And then 20 years from now, people are like, wow, like how, do you, how did you end up in this place? Man, I wish I could be you one day. And you're like, well, I, all I did was stay in the game. That's all I did. That it's not failure unless you decide, I quit. I quit. So whatever it is in your life, that old person that's holding you back, that old person that won't seem to go away, here's the promise I'm going to make to you. God is and will continue to change you into the person that he's created you to be. But it's going to be harder than you think it's going to be, and it's going to take longer than you think it's going to take. But if you do not quit, you'll be the person he created you to be. I'll end by telling you this story. I was in Washington, D.C. two weeks ago. I went up for a pastor's conference, and um, or maybe last week. Anyway, I went to a pastor's conference, and um, I, uh, I was there. Some friends were there speaking, and some, you know, some acquaintances were there speaking. It was a great conference. Most of the speakers were these, like, young, energetic guys, you know, and it was, it was awesome. But there was one speaker on the lineup I'd never met before. His name was Pastor Dale O'Shields, and he pastors Rock of the Redeemer Church in Baltimore, Maryland, and you know, all the speakers at this conference were like trendy looking dudes and young and energetic and stuff. And Pastor Dale is shorter than me and he's older than me, much older than me and very soft-spoken man. Like you would not pick him out of a crowd as like a leader or a pastor. And he walks up to the stage and he shares and it was unbelievable, like just the voice of a father, a grandfather in your life. And he's been at his church for 32 years. He started the church, he's been there 32 years. And actually a dream of mine, like written down in my prayer journal on my list of life goals is I want to pastor one church for at least 30 years. And so here I have a chance to look at somebody who is doing this. And so I, I pull him out after the session, I pull him over to the side and I'm like, Pastor Dale, thank you so much. Uh, I told him a little bit about my story. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. I've been there 13 years, been the pastor 10 years, and just love what you had to say. And, you know, it's my goal to be at a pastor church 30 years. I know you've been there 13 years. I'm just like, you know, just rambling, 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 just trying to get it all out. And I said, so I guess, I guess my question is, like, what do I need to know? Like, what's the, like, if you could give me one piece of advice to, like, get where you've gotten, like, 32 years at a church, like, if you could just tell me, like, one thing, like, what, and I've got my pen and I've got my notepad ready, you know, like, Yoda is about to speak. And I'm like, if you could just tell me, like, one thing, like, what's the thing? And have you ever asked somebody a question thinking you're going to get the most brilliant answer and then they, they give you an answer and you're like, oh, <laughs> right? Well, that's what happened. So I'm standing there and I'm like, I got my phone out. I got my notes app open. Like, if you, Pastor Dale, if you could just tell me one thing. I'm 34, you're, 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 there's a lot of wisdom. If you could just tell me one thing. Pastor Dale, what is it? He goes, well, you know, I get asked that question a lot by pastors, you know, like you. And he's like, I guess the best answer I could tell you is uh, don't worry about it. And I'm like, what do, what do I write? I don't know, what, what do I write down, Pastor Dale? Like, I don't, what do you mean, don't worry about it? He's like, honestly, Jason? He said, you know, if you'll just wake up tomorrow and just do the best you can do. And then next month, do the best you can do. Things will change in the church. Your family's gonna change. You're gonna get older. When you get there, just do the best you can do. 20 years from now, you know, church is probably going to be a lot bigger and everything's changed. you got more staff. Just do the best you can do. 
He's like, then one day you're going to wake up. You've been at that church 32 years, and some young pastor is going to pull you to the side. And he's going to say, man, I want to do what you're doing. If there's just one piece of advice, and you'll probably, after 32 years, because God will have beaten all the pride out of you, you'll probably look at him and you'll say, ah, don't worry about it. Just do the best you can do. And he said, the only way you will not be the pastor that God wants you to be and that your church will not be the church that God wants it to be, the only way that you'll mess that up is if you quit. That's it. He's like, so my advice to you, just stay in the game. When you want to quit, stay in the game. When it's going incredible, stay in the game. Just stay in the game. And I'm just kind of like, stay in the game. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to like, you know, just stay in the game. And so I know he was talking to me as a pastor and everything, but I, if I could just give that advice to you today, how, how can I be the new person God's created me to be? You don't want to be the old person. How can I be the mom God's created me to be? Just don't quit. How can I be the husband or the wife that God's created me to be? Just, just don't quit. How, how can I be the, the boss, the employee, the entrepreneur God wants me to be? Just don't quit. How can I have the faith that God wants me to have? Just don't quit. And when you find yourself at your lowest moment doing what you swore, you said to God, God, I will never do that again. Or maybe I'll never do that. And you do. Just come back to him. Stay in the game. Stay in the game. We pray a prayer each week as we end service. And in that prayer, we just say, next time I fall, we don't say if I fall. We say, the next time I fall, help me to get up and run to you and not away from you. Because the voice of the enemy will say, run away, run away, run away. And God says the same thing he said to Peter. I'm praying for you. Your faith won't fail. Return to me. Return to me. Just stay in the game. Let's pray.